Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. With the joy and privilege of opening the Word together this morning as we continue to worship the Lord. We're going to be reading 1 Timothy chapter 1, the first 17 verses. We're going to be focusing on verses 12 through 17 in the sermon this morning. Hear now the Word of our God which endures forever. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy, because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, you are the one who is immortal, invisible, the only wise God, the King of ages. And we pray that you would help us this morning to see you, to hear your voice, help us to understand your word. We pray that you would apply it to our hearts by your Spirit. God, you have promised to us in your word, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, 
Knock, and it will be opened to you. Lord, we pray and ask that you would cause us to receive all that you would have for us here in your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would, as we come seeking you uh, in and by your word, that you would help us to find you. And Lord, we pray that as we knock, that you would open up all the treasures of what you have. Lord, help us, we pray. We're weak, uh, we're sinful, and we need your grace. We need the power of your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, while we're going to focus on verses 12 through 17 this morning, really by way of introduction, it's essential to get what's going on in verses 1 through 11 of 1 Timothy 1. And so as we look to these opening verses of 1 Timothy chapter 1, it's, it's clear from Paul's words that Timothy a young minister at the church of Ephesus, is struggling. He's been serving in in ministry probably for a short time now. He's stepped into the life of a public leader, and there's opposition, criticism, challenges. In the church in Ephesus, there there are people who love to talk theology. They're confident personalities. They want to be teachers but they're distorting the truth of Scripture. They're leading people astray. Now, these people were likely part of this congregation in Ephesus before Timothy got there. And it seems that for Timothy, the dynamics of the church here are are more and more like an impossible mess that's only getting worse. I think many of us can maybe sympathize with Timothy here. Maybe not in his particular role, but we know what it's like to have to deal with difficult people and how hard it is when there's a situation where there's no resolution that seems to be coming, when we have day in, day out stress in relationships that continues week in, week out, the kind of relational thing that keeps you up at night that gives you high blood pressure, that makes you feel burned out and just flat-out tired. People aren't listening. The troublers of your life seem to be getting on well. They're influencing other people. And it seems like every effort you make for good is going nowhere. Paul knows that that Timothy is feeling this. Paul knows that in times like this in life, Uh, we can start longing for a new beginning. We can feel like maybe we want to quit our job and go somewhere else. Well, in some situations in life, it might be the right thing to have a new beginning. And Paul, Paul could have perhaps suggested to Timothy, hey, why don't you go take a call to Colossae? Are there ministry needs in Philippi? Why don't you go there? But instead of that, Paul urges Timothy his true child in the faith, to stay. Look with me to verse 3. As I urged you while I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. Why? Why stay, Timothy? Because in this case, it's, it's far better for the church and for you, Timothy, as hard as it is to stay on and to engage the trouble that you're facing. 
And Timothy has been entrusted with a gospel stewardship for this particular church and for this particular community in Ephesus. And Paul knows that Timothy is needed here. He's needed to keep this faithful gospel stewardship in this city and church. Well, in contrast to Timothy's opponents who are confident, they're self-seeking, they're prominence-loving, Paul reminds and encourages Timothy in verse 5 that the aim of his call is love that flows from a pure heart and a good conscience. Timothy's opponents in the church are distorting God's Word and His law. And Paul reminds him they don't even understand what they're talking about. In verse 8, we see that Paul is, is helping Timothy to avoid overreacting against the legalism of these false teachers by reminding him that God's law is good. It, it functions in a beautiful and gracious way as it convicts us of our sin, exposes our evil for what it is, and it's in perfect harmony, verse 11, with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Well, behind Paul's kind and wise opening words to Timothy here, there's someone far greater, isn't there? Paul is an apostle. He's the messenger of Jesus. Jesus is standing behind Paul here. Jesus is inspiring Paul with these words, encouraging Timothy and encouraging us to keep on in the gospel stewardship that the Lord has brought us into as Christians. The trust of gospel stewardship is what really surrounds our focus passage this morning. Our focus passage is verses 12 through 17, but just look with me for a minute at verse 11. There Paul says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And then if you jump to verse 18, Paul says, this charge I and trust to you, Timothy, my child. Now, if you were going to encourage someone like Timothy, someone you know who's, who's struggling, they're stressed out, they're anxious, they're weary, they're just flat worn out, and they're ready to quit. Maybe they're ready to quit in, in dealing with a child who's going astray. And maybe they're ready to quit in a family relationship. Maybe they're ready to quit at work. But, but they probably shouldn't quit at this point because of their trouble with particular individuals. What would you say? What would you do? Well, what Paul does in verse 12 is he begins here by sharing his own gratitude to the Lord with Timothy. He says, I thank Him who has given me strength. See, Paul's eyes are open. He's looking up to Jesus as he comes alongside Timothy, and he thanks the Lord for giving him energy and ability to keep on in his own calling as a man who is entrusted with the gospel. And Paul is fully aware that in his own life, 
Nothing of what he has been able to do is because he is some kind of a superhuman Christian. Paul could only be and do what he could do because Christ gave him strength. And Paul certainly knew hard things in life, didn't he? And Timothy knows this. You know, Timothy co-authored the epistles to the Corinthian church with Paul. In 2 Corinthians 11.22, we read that Paul has been working hard. He's been laboring to give birth to new church plants. He's been laboring to strengthen churches. He's been laboring to recover churches that are going astray. He's been laboring to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. And what do we read about the troubles that were part of the package of his life as he did so, part of his new life as a Christian? He was imprisoned on multiple occasions. He suffered beatings with rods. He was flogged three times. He was stoned and nearly died. He was shipwrecked and adrift at sea. He was often in dangerous situations from criminals, from Jews and from Gentiles, from hypocrites who were Christian pretenders. Paul says he had many sleepless nights. He knew what it was to be cold, to be hungry, to be thirsty. And through it all, he was often anxious, often stressed out for the churches. Well, this, this no doubt would come to Timothy's mind here as Paul says these words, I thank him who has given me strength. And Paul as well, as he reflects on this, it fills him with, with gratitude to Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's Christ's power. It's Christ's grace that has helped Paul not just survive, but even grow and bear fruit through it all. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, come along, look to Jesus with me. Jesus is the one you need and the one who will give you what you need. I know and it fills me with gratitude to him as I think of what he's done to strengthen me. Now Paul goes on to tell us that, that Jesus gave strength to him, verse 12, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, is Paul bragging here? No, he's not. See, the Lord entrusted Paul with calling as an apostle and minister, in part because Paul displayed faithfulness in life, faithfulness to Christ. And, and faithfulness is required for service to Christ, and yet Paul even as he's telling us that his faithfulness is one of the reasons that God gave him a greater trust of stewardship, it was entirely because of what Jesus was doing in him that he was faithful. It was Jesus' work by his word and spirit that made him want to serve, and that made him actually serve Christ. And so Jesus judged me faithful. Jesus appointed me to his service, verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent. Paul thinks back on who he was. He wants us to grasp, and he wants Timothy to grasp the difference 
in his life between who he was and who by the strength and grace of Christ he has become. Not long ago, I saw a video clip online of someone that someone had posted, and, and it was this uh, pro-life demonstrator, a dad, his teenage daughter, and a few littler kids, and they were standing outside an abortion clinic at South Bend. And it was just their family, just the dad and the kids. They were standing there praying. And a couple uh, large guys, hostile, Antifa-type uh, Guys came up and started yelling at them, threatening them. It's in South Bend. And then suddenly one of these counter-protesters, these Antifa guys, was so full of rage and hatred, he just pulled back his arm and sucker-punched this father in the face. And the father's reeling back. He's bleeding. This man was filled with raging fury, with hatred, against this pro-life man praying with his family. And he left him in shock, the children distraught. The Apostle Paul is saying to us, this was me against the church. This was me against evangelists. This was me against loving Christians, against families who were trying to reach out to the lost. I was the man who was filled with fury, with hatred, with violence. I was a distorted and dangerous man. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Paul didn't just punch people in the face. He broke up families. He dragged moms and dads off to prison where they would face death. Paul initiated their deaths. He cheered the death of Stephen. But, Paul says, I received mercy. Paul's personal evil had been profound. In fact, the way he describes himself in the, in the, the remainder of the verse in the, as we move on to the passage is as almost being near the edge of unsavable. He says in verse 13, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul's saying here, had he been one who had tasted the grace of God in Jesus Christ and then turned to such a profound evil, he might not have received mercy. However, in his evil, he was self-deceived. He was blinded. Paul, as he was doing what he was doing, thought that he was doing good. And we need to realize that, that in our world and around us, some of those who hate Christianity the most, in our communities, in our country, they believe that they are doing good. They are blinded blinded in hate and malice against the gospel, yes, but just like Paul, self-deceived, blind in rebellion against the Lord. And this is a sobering reality about sin, and it's not just out there, is it? If this was true for Paul, if this is true for many around us who don't know the Lord, 
we also need to be aware that, that we could think that we're doing right or think that we're doing pretty well and maybe be blind to substantial sin in our own lives. This is why Paul says these words, but I received mercy. But Jesus stopped me in my pursuit of evil. He revealed Himself to me in resurrection glory. You know, Jesus could have struck Paul dead, right? We remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They died on the spot. God was holy in doing so and perfectly just. But here we see mercy poured out. As Jesus stopped Paul on the way to Damascus, stopped him and blinded him by the brilliance of his glory, as Paul was on his road of self-righteous hate, his spiritual eyes were opened. As he sat for three days, his eyes unable to see physically because Jesus had physically blinded him in mercy, Paul started to pray. And the Lord sent Ananias to him. And as Paul says in verse 14, the grace of our Lord overflowed to me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. These words can be translated, they overflowed exceedingly abundantly or just beyond measure, the grace and love, the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus were poured into me. Jesus brought this man, Paul, into this overflowing salvation. Suddenly, Paul was made Christ's. He was forgiven. He was cleansed of all his evil all his sin. He was reconciled to God. Jesus did this marvelous work of new creation in Paul's life with the consequence that Paul now is filled with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who who was in heaven, seated in heavenly glory by His Spirit, communicated that, that faith and love that fill Him to Paul and filled Paul with the same. And so, a week earlier, you had the old Paul, a man created by God, an evil man, hating God, hating his church, using all God's good gifts of his own mind, his intellect, his energy, his resources, his relationships against God to do evil, to hurt Christians, to rail against Christ. But Jesus, God the Son, who took our nature to Himself, Paul's nature to Himself, Jesus, who took the weight of wrath that we deserve for our evil, who fulfilled all righteousness for us, this Jesus took a hold of Paul and brought him into new life, making him a new man, not a perfect man yet, but a marvelously changed man. And so filled with praise and wonder, Paul declares in verse 15, the saying is trustworthy. It's deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the foremost, of who am I? I'm, I'm the worst. Timothy, Paul is saying, this is what Jesus is about. Making the dead alive. Making the evil become good. Making selfish people become selfless. He came to save, to transform people, to sanctify. Well, in verse 16, Paul repeats as a beautiful refrain what he first said in verse 13. He says again, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, as the worst sinner, Jesus Christ might display what? Display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. See, Paul received mercy not just for Paul, not just for himself. And the same is true for all of us. God saved you. God has shown mercy to you. God has brought you into His love. It's not just for you. It was so that Paul's life story of salvation and sanctification could be there for us. For everyone who would believe in Jesus for eternal life, the Spirit put this in the Word so that this testimony could be here for us, so that we could see Jesus as the source of strength for Paul, as rich in mercy for Paul, and as perfect in patience with Paul. Jesus was patient with Paul. Think about the patience of Jesus. While Paul was pursuing evil, Jesus was pursuing His ministry, the cross, the tomb, His resurrection and ascension. While Paul was living in sin, in evil, Jesus was seated on the throne in glory. While Paul was loving his sin, delighting in his sin, Jesus was reigning over everything, working and waiting for the right time to save Paul. And after transforming Paul in Damascus, Jesus continued patiently loving Paul, caring for him, sanctifying him, strengthening his still weak and sinful servant, shaping him and helping him to bear better fruit and to grow to his glory. Now, isn't this exactly what Timothy needs to hear? This is what Timothy needs to know in his stress, in all the mess of the Ephesus church, Timothy needs to see this Jesus. And this is the Jesus that not only Timothy needs to see, but everybody in the congregation in Ephesus needs to see this Jesus. Whether they're a faithful believer there, or whether they're one of the troublers of the church there, and so this is why Paul urges Timothy, stay in Ephesus, remain in Ephesus. And this is not only why, this is how Timothy can stay in Ephesus. This is how he can do it. 
because the Christ who brought him into the trust of gospel stewardship is the one who gives his people strength and patiently carries them all the way home. You know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like Timothy, we have this same Jesus, God, Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us and for us as His children, just as much as for Timothy. So let me ask you, what's the hardest part of your life right now? What's the hardest part of your life calling? Where are you the most weak right now? What's your tendency to sin? Where do you struggle the most? Where do you wish for change in life? You could just say, well, if I could just change that, life would be so much better. Where are you maybe feeling at wit's end and you're just flat out weary? You're tired. Where are you discouraged with people that you know and love and your heart's feeling weighed down? Our Lord Jesus, by Paul, by His apostle, is saying to us, bring yourself, just like He's saying to Timothy, bring yourself and all of your sin and all of your struggle, all of your fears and stress, bring them to Me. I haven't changed from when I inspired Paul, Paul who was once the worst of sinners, to pen these words. If I could save and sanctify and strengthen Paul, I could do it for you. I delight to do it. I'm strong to do it. I've ordained these words to be penned also for you this morning. Well, as Paul takes us to this Jesus, he is just lifted up with worship. As he pens these words, verse 17, he just bursts out in song. He says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. I think the only way to describe verse 17 is doxology. Doxology is where those times where our eyes are opened to, to get a glimpse of, to see Jesus, to see God in His grace, in His goodness, in His glory, in His power, and our hearts start to overflow, and we just want to worship Him. Now, Christ is King forever and ever. He's, he is life eternal. We don't see Him yet, but we soon will. He's worthy of our lives, of our praise, of all honor and glory. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we bow before You. We thank You for the riches of Your Word. We thank You for the great encouragement that You give in this passage to Your people, to us. Lord, we confess that just like Timothy, there are many times in life where we fear, where we feel like quitting, 
Lord, where we are worried and anxious, we see trouble, we're trying to help, and it seems like we can do nothing. Lord, we thank you for reminding us that you are the King of glory, that you are strong to save, that you are glad to give your strength to empower us and to help us in your service. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of mercy. Lord, it's your mercy that's brought us here this morning. We thank you that you are the God of perfect patience. Thank you so much for your patience with us. We pray, Lord, that you would make our hearts glad in you, that you would renew our strength and you would cause us to mount up with wings like eagles. Help us to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint in your grace and in your strength. And we will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.